welcome listeners to Yeah Aha with Lisa and Phil and our frequent flyer co-host Aaron from California. Boy, his arms must be tired. So I hope you guys are ready for a walk down film industry lane. Yeah, we have a man with great ambition with us today. Mm-hmm. So we're here with Matthew Alexander to mm-hmm. talk about his projects, his mm-hmm. thesis at the the College of St. Mary. Is that right? Mount St. Mary Mount University. Yeah, Mar- Mount St. Mary University. Yeah. I've always been a fan of the movies and there have been times in my life where I thought about, you know, I'd like to be like a, a Steven Spielberg or, you know, Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. or something and have that type of control. Or even and, Ed Wood. Or even Ed Wood would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> he just won't wear the dresses. I've tried. Yeah. But here's a man who sees the opportunity and he's pursuing mm-hmm. that dream. So yeah. thank you. I'm very interested to talk to you. So welcome, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Aaron, for uh, inviting me along. Appreciate sure it. Yeah. So thanks for coming. Now I'm the only person who hasn't scored a podcast guest. Yeah, you got to get on it. No, I, I'm had, um, trying. I hand out cards had, everywhere. Mary. Mary. Oh, yeah, I got married. Never mind. Right. Never mind. Mary. Exactly. I was thinking her exactly. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and that netted another guest. If you've, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, especially the one, uh, the, the Native American one from uh, 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 Alcatraz. Mary Conley. About yeah. the, that's her. Mary's grandmother was the. No, no, her great aunt. Her great aunt was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nurse on Alcatraz during the Native American occupation uh, of Alcatraz. uh, The the medical clinic. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Kidding. Nope. Mm -mm. During during Occupy Alcatraz, it was 18 months. They occupied Alcatraz for 18 months. Back in the 1970s. And she was there from almost the very beginning Mm -hmm. until the end. No kidding. Yep. So you're a native New Yorker, right? Grew up in New York City, uh, went yep. to school in Madison, Wisconsin, and came to Los Angeles after school. Oh, okay. Madison, that's a party town, right? That's the mad town, as they like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> that's where Epic's located. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So if you ever go to Madison, Wisconsin for Epic training, I think someone will, I think you might have to bring me with you. I'm not going because that's healthcare. Oh, right. How did you get from? How did you get from uh, New York City to Los Angeles? So um, I went to school in Madison because I have relatives in Wisconsin. Okay. And uh, Madison ended up giving me the best financial aid package Mm -hmm. back in the day. And uh, there I met, you know, made a lot of friends. And one of those friends ended up moving to L.A. Uh Mm Uh-huh. A year before I did, and we stayed in touch via actual written correspondence on letters. Oh, with wow. Stamps, with stamps. That's insane. No. Sh- yeah. No <laughs> did you lick the envelopes? Philip wrote notes on paper. On paper. We, we corresponded on paper, and we actually picked up a telephone and dialed numbers on a telephone and made had phone calls. Wow. And uh, he's still a friend today. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, he helped me get my first interview here in L.A. Right. And and I know how that interesting that is, because Philip and I got married in 94 and his parents still had a dial telephone. Yeah. It wasn't even a push button. A rotary. You no, know, it was. Yeah. It was. Still, we still had attached to the wall. We still had a, a home phone, but they had an actual dial telephone that they still used because he said, "Why spend money on something else?" I don't do his voice well, but he said, "Why spend money on it when it still works?" Well, you might as well just take a message, just stick it in a bottle, and throw it. It's a pity. Not long after we got married, someone accidentally knocked it off the table, and something went awry. <laughs> no, so that's what, that's what brought me to LA. Is, uh, is okay. you know a friend a friend helped me get a, a job interview. Uh huh. And I got the job. And Your friend's still in LA too. He's still in LA. We're still friends. We just went for a hike last week on you know less so a week ago. And it, we used to live 10 minutes from each other. No, a uh, 10-minute walk from each other. Now we're about an eight-minute drive. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, so we've been friends ever since. Like Aaron kind of, so he, what, he went out there. He had a relationship out there. That I remember when he left. So He followed he, a girl. And, and he wasn't necessarily pursuing his dream job and working for Disney working on databases at the time. It's funny how things turn out, right? So it wasn't the movies that drew you there. It's a personal thing, you know? Yeah. Friend, friend helped me get a job because it was, you know, I graduated school. I had student loans. I had debt to pay off and I needed a job Mm -hmm. and jobs weren't plentiful at the time. It was kind of a crappy job market. And it was one of those, take the job wherever you're going to get it. Yeah. It was either move home, no job. Crashed with friends in San Francisco, no job. Mm-hmm. And here's this uh, interview, and I got the job over the phone. Great, which is crazy. Yeah, back then that would be nuts. And yeah. they hired me, and I came out here and haven't left. Yeah, yeah. Can't So get what rid was of the me. job? How long did you stay? Tech support for an insurance company. Okay. We were okay. doing Bill, phone Bill knows support. a little something about that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. We can exchange notes. Yeah, um, he's I an was, IT professional. I was I was doing phone support for uh, their software that the insurance agents were using. Mm-hmm. They would call us up and say, "I'm having problems with this, that," and we would tell them how to solve their problems. And they were using floppy disks, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that dates it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just that a tells little. you a little bit. I guess I, too, was uh, support at a health company, sort of. It was a dental HMO. But... Well, you were at a dental HMO? I was, at a, I was at a life insurance company. Now, is the dental HMO where you met Luca? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was my job before Disney. Hmm. But so how long did you stay with the phone company or the insurance company? The life insurance company, about two and a half, almost three years. Okay. Phone support at the insurance company. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, eventually it became a programming job. So about a year and a half in, uh, there was an opening for software development, which is what I wanted to be doing. And so 
I was able to transfer over to that group and start doing some software development uh, for, for the company. And that's where I met a, a buddy of mine who I ended up following actually to Disney two jobs later and then again jumped with him to follow him to another place. Okay. So you know how it is. You, you move move with friends the, sometimes. The apparently obligatory appearance of Nettle on the uh, podcast. <laughs> Hello. That's right. Who's that? Nettle. Nettle is your cat? Yeah. Her name is Nettleberry because the day we got her, we were removing a tree, and it turns out it was called a Nettleberry tree. So, I mean, so. software development is mm-hmm. a creative thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it can be very much so more interesting than answering the phone and talking about browser issues and, uh, you know, print adding printers and things like that more. uh, But that wasn't enough for you, though. I mean, you had more creative energy. There's there's more that you wanted to do. When did you start to feel like you really wanted to get into uh, movie making? Um, Well, uh, I. um, I've always been feeling like a storyteller of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I software was great for a long time mm-hmm. until I just got to the point where I felt like I was solving the same problem uh, for the umpteenth time. And mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to be doing something more creative. And mm-hmm. I had done, I had done some songwriting. I'd done, uh, I'd written a musical with pre-existing songs and went to the, uh, went to the, that group and got the reply. Thank you for your effort, but we're not interested. Um, and so I had done that and, uh, and I was looking at what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And, uh, a few years ago I said, I need to, I need to switch careers. I need to do, um, I need to do something a little bit more and uh, creative. And, um, but I was making real good money. You know, those golden handcuffs. Right. Oh, yeah. So Believe I'm me. working, I'm working at Disney with Aaron, you know, near where Aaron works at in a, in a different uh, team, but same floor. Same building. Same building, same group, mm-hmm. different team from Aaron. And, uh, I'm working there, figuring I'm making great money here. I'm doing this work. I need to be more creative. So I looked for a weekend program, MFA program. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to make film or TV, but I knew I wanted to do something. I liked writing. And Mm -hmm. I found this program at Mount St. Mary's, which ended up being a really great fit for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time that I applied in 2019, it's a weekend program designed for working professionals. Mm -hmm. And so I could work during the week, go to school on a weekend, have a weekend off to do projects, go to school the following weekend. So we'd have a week on, week off kind of Mm -hmm. of thing. Sometimes we'd have two weeks off, but we'd meet six times during the 12-week semester, basically. 2019 you started, did you say? Started in uh, August of 19, August, September of 19. And you just got your MFA. And I just finished ago? Past, less uh, than a month ago. This, this, yeah, a month ago. 2020. Oh, just over a month ago. 
Well, congratulations on that. Yeah. Uh, Thank did, you very much. How did 2020 affect yeah. that? How did the COVID- Wow, we'll get into that. Yeah. You know, uh, it okay. was a, okay. we'll, we'll just did say it, it was a COVID shit show. Uh, did it accelerate it or did it take longer or less time because of covid i would say it took about the same amount of time it would have taken because um so it's going to take three years anyway two two to three years i think um unlike business school we're not like advancing with the cohort where you know we take classes and then take the next class then take next everybody's uh we we had some requirements to do Mm -hmm. and then you, you're kind of on, you know, you have flexibility to create your own programs. It's an art program. As opposed yeah. to. Yeah. As opposed to something more regimented. I can see why an art program would be more uh, flexible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we had a lot of flexibility. And initially I was thinking I want to do writing because I'd, I'd done the songwriting a little bit. I'd done a little bit of uh, you know, uh, musical theater writing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do producing because I have the really good organizational skills from mm-hmm. being a software developer, being a software developer manager. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great, let me do that. And then I took a producing class in my second semester. And I was like, this is just not what I want to be doing. I want to be on set. I want to be writing. I want to be really fingers deep in the creative process Mm -hmm. so if i not the nuts and bolts line producing if i do producing it won't be more along the creative producing side Mm -hmm. yeah you never hear people say what i really want to do is produce (laughs) (laughs) yeah right um i I do have a question there uh very much for for the layman out there including myself what sure. is the the technical or the real difference between a producer and a director, say? Because so, you always uh, have the directors in charge, sure. but it seems like, and, and also a showrunner. Producer makes sure everything's there that you need. Director yeah. basically is the showrunner, usually. Okay. Oh, well, okay. It, it depends. Let's talk um, film and let's talk television. Okay. Um, in, in film, you've got the producer. And the producer is responsible. You've got multiple producers. They're responsible for raising the funds. They're p- responsible for acquiring all the locations for shooting, hiring the team, and just making sure all the nuts and bolts work. And, and just making sure the production goes from the inception of the idea to the release and distribution. And handing it off to where the distributors. In that in that area in film, you've got a, a director, and Phil mentioned Spielberg. And in many ways, you know, when you're at Spielberg's level, he is tends to be running running the show in a sense, but he's working very heavily with the producers to make things happen. In the film world, the producer tends to have a lot more power than in the TV world uh, than the director does. Um, And the director in the film world has more power than, say, the screenwriter does. And a director like Spielberg is going to have a lot of power, whereas if I were to go and be given a film with me having no name, the producers would have a lot more power to make changes in the project. 
yeah, in the TV room. Yeah, throw their girlfriend in at the last minute instead of some actress, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a bit of a thrill, but... Yeah. In, in the TV world, the writer, uh, the creative writer who came up with the idea, usually becomes what's called a showrunner. And the showrunner tends to also... is, is usually... Um, the top of the line, the, 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 the main person. And they're basically going to be telling, be creating the show and creating the storylines and being the last arbiter of what's the storyline. And they're running as the show, as it says, showrunner, they're running the whole thing. Yeah, they're, the director, they're Vince Gilligan. Or the Vince Gilligan, the Shonda Rhimes, the, those people. They're coming in and saying, here's the story. Here's what's going on. I'm going to be basically running the show. They hire usually more than one director because usually you've got more, you've got multiple directors in a season. It's rare that you see the same director go from episode to episode because of the production schedule. They have to have episode one is being prepped with the director. It's being shot. And while that's being shot, episode two is being prepped with another director. And then while that's going, episode three is being prepped. And then you can have multiple episodes all being in some process where you've got a prep, a shoot, and post-production of three episodes happening all at once. And then as you're shooting more episodes, you may be overlapping with other prep and or post-production. So there's somewhat... Oh, sorry. <laughs> that could be a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Or if, and if, he wanted the, really... if you wanted the one director over an arc of shows, too, you could you know, film them out of sequence. And Correct. then you could still do the same staggering of directors, too. Right. And you may want to have your you know, one director. There were some shows that had one director. So, you know, how they're managing that is a real interesting problem to solve in yeah. terms of all of the pre-production and prep that has to go into each episode. So, so would a, a showrunner be responsible for continuity? The, the showrunner is going to be responsible for building teams and deciding what the story arcs are. And they may end up handing off a lot of that logistical work so that they can focus on the writer's room and focus on working with the writers to work out all the beats because they're working out beats for the, the season, for the series, the season, and the episode. So ideally, they're looking at it and they're thinking, I've got a multi-season story that I'm trying to tell. And I need to set up things now for some of the seasons later in earlier seasons. And I've got to figure out what those beats are and those little nuggets and then I'm going to be doing the same thing within a season itself and then within an episode. Yeah. And so here's my, my guy's tale. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. smudge. Uh-huh. That's um, smudge. So I take it you're, yeah. since you're a fan of Vince Gilligan, I take it mm-hmm. you've been watching Better Call Solomon. Saul. I've been working on Better Call Saul and catching up on that. Yeah. But I don't think I would, I'd be giving up too much, but, about the plot, if I was talking about Kim's character, there was something that happened late in this last season, you know, just 
first half season. Where I, I don't know if Matthew's caught up. I haven't caught up to that yet, but go ahead if you want to give it away. Well, I don't think this will spoil much, really. But it's a, it's a point I wanted to make because <laughs> we find out that Kim's mother oh, was kind of, a, you know, she was um, uh-huh. a, grift, a grifter and an alcoholic mm-hmm. and kind of had some of the same attributes that Jimmy or Saul had. And so all this time you look at uh, Kim and you think, well, mm-hmm. she's this ethical, lawyerly, scholarly woman, you know, mm-hmm. driven but she's fighting against this. So I'm wondering, yeah. is that I the think type that of thing? I goes back to season one, even if I remember right. That's, that's what I was getting at. Is that yeah. something that you think Gilligan would have had in his mind from the, you know, season one? Uh, I don't know how he works, but yeah. definitely the way I like to work is you're putting together your character, you know, bio in a sense. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to, you know, say, well, where did this character you know, where are they from? What kind of person are they? And he may have definitely said just a very quick little note before he started shooting episode one of the first season. He may have said, Kim, mom was a grifter. He could have easily said that and just be for, for her character motivation for staying a very, you know, by the book kind of person so that when it comes out later, we get a real depth of Oh wow. She's she came from this kind of person over here and she went total 180 cuz she didn't want to deal with that ever any, again. But Except then she's dating she this does. guy. She's got that but, mischievous uh urge, that streak. <laughs> but she does. Yeah. So it, it's it I would I wouldn't I would definitely assume he's he made that call early in when he was yeah. figuring out who these characters are. Because that's backstory. Yeah. And, and that informs her acting, Ray Seahorn. I'm sure that informs her acting all throughout that time. You know, she knows that that's mm-hmm. coming. That's a reveal that'll right. happen. And, and he may have taken her aside very, very much just by herself and said, here's some things about your character. I want you to know. I don't want anybody else to know so that you understand where this character is coming from. Right. Her motivation. Although Aaron said it did happen in season one. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I'm that's, pretty sure early on that they introduced. That, I mean, that's that's what's fascinating to me about storytelling. And because I, I've tried to write before and it's like I would I wouldn't have a fully developed story. And you start you get so far into it yeah. and then you realize, oh, I should have interjected this here. If you have a, a, a overview, a complete overview of the story that you want to tell, then you can. Then you can you can really enrich your story with more nuance. Nuance, yeah. Yeah. I, I do like outlining because you know that overview or outlining is really to me helpful. Um, even back with musical theater writing, uh, they were uh, I took some classes on that and went uh, took a outlining class just for that. And for me, outlining really helped a lot. And going back to software development. Um, in a way, we do that as well. In software development, we do our storyboarding too. Yeah, storyboarding and outlining to understand, you know, what is this piece of software supposed to do? How is it going to act interact with another piece yeah. of software? In user stories, we even refer to the people as actors. Exactly. So you know, going from software development to actual story writing, uh, you know, storytelling. Um, it's, it's not a big jump to be saying, let's outline here 
And um, some people do great outlining and some people are like, it's not my thing. And I just say, you know what, try it. And if it's not your thing, don't bother. Yeah. Uh, find what is your thing. Yeah. All right. Let's let's go ahead and take a break here for mm-hmm. our sponsor. And when we come back, we want to talk a little bit about the films that Matthew has produced. Um, I think we got permission to talk about those in some detail. So, um, yeah, let's no, no spoilers back. though. I would no yeah, okay, no spoilers. <laughs> so showrunners or TV? So showrunners or TV? Okay. Because and, they're um, running the, the show and keeping it. They're in. running the show, and they tend to have the most uh, power. And because they're also a writer, if you're a writer and you become a showrunner, writers tend to have more power in TV mm, than yeah. directors. Because think of it this way: when a director comes in on episode two, season two, season three, the show and those characters have already been defined for them. Your job as a director at that point is to take a script, make sure it conforms to the show and the tone of the show, Mm -hmm. and the characters conform to their character. Mm -hmm. Unless they're doing something pretty, you know, really different. Yeah. That episode, you want to keep you you want to keep the tone going. So you've got to be able to say, hey, I'm going to keep these characters. Saul and Kim and others, I'm keeping them going mm-hmm. through the, this episode so I can launch into the next episode. Right. So, so you don't have as much creative freedom as well. Um, and for like a show that's uh, very visually defined, like Succession with those close-ups and the zoom and the zoom in and zoom out that they're doing, um, you're not going to be able to come in and say, hey, how about we do something way different visually unless that showrunner really says i really like your idea and let me let me justify that in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. right right um so the director basically has to ask whereas in a movie they might not in in a movie they may say this is my vision get the producer to buy off if the if the screenwriter likes it or doesn't like it, it might not be a big deal because that screenwriter might not have as much power in that position, and that's in that sense. But in the in the TV world, um, a director could come in to episode one of the newest season of um, uh, 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 Umbrella Academy mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, I see you've written this sequence where they go into this fantasy footloose dance-off thing." Well, what do you think about doing X, Y, Z in terms of how to make it look different visually? Mm-hmm. And they may go with that or they may just do whatever it is, you know, yeah. that they originally thought. But a director might have a little bit more leeway mm-hmm. with that. So let me ask you this. When you watch something on screen now, yep. do you ever stop and say, now that's good directing? That that's um, a result of what the direct or is it seamless? Is it something? I mean, because sometimes I see that, and a lot yeah. of times I'm more focused. To, today I'm really more focused on on the story writing, mm. and on on how they're dropping in the story, 
than I am on the visual and the directing as much because I'm really focused right now on my writing. Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm watching stuff right now, I tend to be uh, watching for the, for the writing as right. much. Um, that's my primary focus. And, um, but I do notice the directing as well. I do notice where, you know, choices they're making with camera, uh, yeah. choices they're making with, with the characters and the, and the directing as well. Um, so that's a lot of fun for me too. Right. Um, and that's if I can, than... what I'll do is I'll do us, I'll read a script before I watch an episode, especially a pilot. If mm-hmm. I can get my hands on the script, I'll w- w- read it first, then I'll watch it. And then if I'm really interested in it, I will do a breakdown of my own and just start taking notes during uh, a viewing, a second or third viewing where I'm taking notes to break down what I'm seeing and what the scenes are all about, what's happening and where the beats are happening. Right. But we should say that Eli Leckinger, Aaron's son, has joined us. Hello, Hi, Eli. Eli. Good Hello, friend. Am I on? Hello. Hey. Hello. Uh, you may recognize Eli from a previous podcast about um, Japanese movies and uh, not nearly as much Godzilla as it should have been. So we probably need to do another Godzilla. Right. Eli. <laughs> but So Eli has been working with mm-hmm. Matthew mm-hmm. recently, so we thought it'd be great to have him on. And I apologize I didn't give you a better warning, mm-hmm. Eli, but it's good to have you. We did talk about it, but uh, things got busy with uh, with me. Oh, so I see. I'll go further into that right now. <laughs> um, I did have a question uh, yeah, sure. about casting. Now, um, famously, uh, the Andy Griffith Show is the first thing that I famously know. Famously know where um, the show was drastically altered after things got started because the cast that they hired to support Andy was so good that Andy decided, Andy Griffiths decided to switch it up and become the straight man. He was supposed to be the kind of yucky, local yokel sheriff. And instead he became the smart straight man and that had to basically herd these um, actors, actors slash cats. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've heard about situations in other uh, shows and movies where they would hire a particular actor and they would do such an amazing uh, take on the character that the character would be altered completely. And the, like, for instance, um, in uh, uh, True Blood. True Blood. In True Blood, uh, the, uh, the Cajun chef whose name I can't remember right now was, uh, was only supposed to be in one season and not even for the whole season. Right. So things change. Yeah. He did such a good job as the character yep. that they kept him much longer than originally planned. Yeah. So the best in, laid plans of mice and men or whatever is what yeah, you're saying. In Lost, uh, the character Linus was given a three, three character arc and ended up uh-huh. being in the show until for the rest of the entire run. And I think he showed up in what, uh, season two or three. Mm-hmm. And the actor was just so good. And he yeah. had such a great response that everybody was like, we got to figure out how to keep him. And so well, they, and I know they that had to work there, that in. 
there was a character in the first season that passed away and he was not originally supposed to die. He was supposed to be in a little bit longer, but there were um, socio um, or, or social concerns with him. And so they terminated his contract. Mm-hmm. I just heard about that recently. So what they say, man plans and God laughs. Isn't yeah. <laughs> the qu- things or, change. Or, um, <laughs> Or uh, uh, what is it? No plan actually survives could, uh, the enemy. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Engagement. No plan survives engagement with the enemy. So let's talk a little bit flexible. about the movies that Matthew mm-hmm. has, has done. Yes, mm-hmm. and we'll just take them in the, the ones sequence. that we've seen at least. We'll take them in the sequence that mm-hmm. we we saw them in. Right. Uh, Matthew was kind enough to send us some PDFs or, or uh, copies of his. Um, yeah. his recent shorts right. now is it okay if we talk about them in the podcast absolutely okay because i know it there was a lot of you know shh don't say anything disclaimers there i think he was sure, going through his yeah. thesis i'm so. trying to get them into uh, uh i'm trying to get them into uh film festivals, festivals right now so uh the the quiet is mostly please don't um you know uh don't give it away. Right. Don't give it, it away because people want to, uh, the, the, the film festivals, some of them would like, you know, ask to be the premiere and mm-hmm. don't want it, you know, too, too publicized prior to or too, too available prior to. So fingers crossed I get into some film festivals and. Um, so let's talk about uh, hearing you breathe because I think that incorporates. Yeah. Uh, uh, I really, that's lovely. It's lyrical. Yeah. Um, and he wrote the song. Just a beautiful Matthew moment. wrote the song. So he yeah. built the whole mm-hmm. thing around that. Yeah. I don't know if you did the music yeah. on all of them, but uh, mm-hmm. on this one. Um, we, we talked about this one on our hike just Friday, I believe. Okay. okay. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe you could go over some of the things you discussed. Give us a little glimpse into what it's like to be in the Scorpion Hill gang. He, he told right. me he had a, he told me he has a song that's, uh, he wrote that's about a long distance relationship. And I realized, oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what, um, what happened was, is, as I said before, I'd done some songwriting. And, uh, so I was in a songwriting class many, many years ago and ended up writing this song. Uh, I think maybe during the class, I started the song after the class. I can't remember where exactly in there I wrote the song but it was around that time and I was in a long distance relationship and um, this was before we had FaceTime uh, before we had text messages you know we had phones Uh, we had very expensive mobile phones and uh, we had uh, email up to a point and you so minutes. you had to watch your minutes and what minutes and you had to were. watch your minutes <laughs> and you're paying for long distance and all that. And, um, and, uh, my boyfriend lived in the Midwest and we would end up being on the phone for hour, two, three hours. And so we'd end up just sitting there with nothing to say for a while. And we just have the phone and we'd just be saying nothing. We just mm-hmm. have empty space. 
And so this idea of we're just listening to each other breathe on the phone and that's it where that's all we're doing. And that idea inspired the song itself. Right. And I love movie musicals. And so one of the ideas I had for a short film was I wanted to take a song and write a film around it. So I took my film, my film, my, I took my song <laughs> I took my song and I wrote a short story around it um, about these two guys and having a dilemma that they're going to have to actually part ways while they pursue their careers and lives for an indefinite amount of time. And, uh, and how to and try and incorporate the song into that story. Right. Well, and there's a lot of choreography too in that mm-hmm. uh, in the short story. And I'm wondering if that is something you uh, imagined also, or is that something that so someone, someone else was credited with that? Yeah, I, um, to your question, Phil, I hadn't imagined choreography in it per se. I kind of knew I wanted some kind of movement, um, and I was blessed with uh, a fellow student, Nayagra. Nayer Galas, <laughs> let me get her name right. Uh, <laughs> Nayer Galas Ruiz. Um, uh, and Nayer is a fellow student who is just brilliant. She's a writer, director, actress, and she also, in a prior lifetime, was a dancer choreographer. Mm-hmm. And um, I. I really didn't know much about her dance and choreography, but I trust her vision and trust her, trust her creativity and turned to her in class when we were still meeting in person and said, Hey, would you be willing to choreograph this? And I said, they're in bed and they're going to sing to each other. And so she looked at me very happy and said, I've always wanted to choreograph a bedroom scene. So, uh, <laughs> it was, was great. great. <laughs> and, um, and we were interrupted by COVID, which allowed me to, to do a little bit of tightening up of the story. And we finally shot a year ago, mm. uh, in 2020 after the vaccines were out and, uh, 20, we were able to, is that 21? 2021. We, were, we shot a year ago in 2021. Thank you for the correction. It all blurs together. And um, we got to shoot uh, with her choreography and my song. And the song was arranged by uh, a friend. His name is Pakwi. And Pak is a really awesome composer. And um, he is uh, doing some really awesome work in film and television. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, did the arranging of the song and also did the, the underscoring for both short films. Okay. Yeah. I, I will say this much, um, Hearing You Breathe, uh, it, and because that's the one we're talking about right now, but it's, it's beautiful and it comes together. It's such a small thing to fit so much into and it comes together just so satisfyingly. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. It was, I was like, wow. Like 
It's like an extended music video kind of really too. Kind of, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. like um, I forget the one name of the one that uh, that Will had me watch was a Katy Perry one, but there's about you know three minutes of story going on, and then the song starts, and then it's over. You know, it's credits. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of the same flow. Yeah, to I was it. trying to do something like that, a little bit different than your standard music video, mm -hmm. where you do have a sense of actual storytelling and a sense of who these characters are. And what's happening with them, and and why do they break into song? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because in a, in, yeah. in a musical uh, movie or a musical theater, you're breaking into song because you can't express the words. Um, so the other the, the other short that we saw was uh, Mistress Ca uh, Candy, and that was quite different, Mistress Candy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, you know, when I read the thesis, the I recognized some things from that. Uh, the mistress, uh, Betty Page, was kind of evoked in the, mm -hmm. who was a 1950s pinup girl. I was a big fan of Betty Page. I like Betty Page. You know, we, mm -hmm. we saw the uh, movie HBO did, and she's got this like shroud of mystery about her and stuff. And, and he seems to like blue eyed brunettes. Right. So it was a little grittier, a little, quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the it was about a relationship between a dominatrix and a client, and there's a twist at the end that we won't reveal because that's why you want to uh, see of it <laughs> eventually. Right. But uh, so how how did that uh, challenge you to do that one? I mean, that is a character study, right? I mean, very much so, a character study, and exactly that was that was the goal of it. It was um, inspired by a project that I'm working on with uh, my writing partner. And in that project, we can talk about that. That's called Unvarnished. And that, in that project, we have a, a character, uh, one of our supporting characters is a dominatrix. And that's not a world I'm really familiar with very much. So I wanted to do a character study that treated this world with uh, respect as we tell a story, but I didn't want it to be, you know, all cheerful and happy and, oh, isn't she a nice dominatrix and isn't this wonderful? <laughs> and, and nothing bad happens and everybody's happy and everybody's good because that's boring. And so I didn't want to make her evil. I wanted to make her complex. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make her client complex. I wanted to them have a complex relationship so that it was real. It felt like a real relationship between two people and that something was something interesting was happening there. And, and it treated this person and this world with respect. And so that we're talking about them as characters and not saying, Oh, this is some weird shit going on, but it's actually, wow, this is what happened between these two. I want to really talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that's what I, I'm hoping that that's what uh, people end up doing. Well, for me, uh, one of the things that almost mainstreams it, if you will, is the fact that it's well lit the whole time. She's not wearing black leather and it's well lit. And that's as uh, spoiler as all go. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, you mentioned Betty Page, and mm -hmm. when when most people think 
And you mentioned leather. And when most people think mm-hmm. dominatrix, they're like leather, latex, shiny black, or, you know, the whole very stereotypical thing. And I, I totally wanted to get away from the stereotype. Mm-hmm. So we weren't dealing with haha stereotype. And I know she's a dominatrix right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have a little redirection visually mm-hmm. so that we have something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And so I went with a more pinup, 1950s pinup look. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the spoiler is that when you start watching uh, Mistress Candy, the moment you see the pinup, the 50s pinup looking woman, well, that's our mistress. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's a spoiler. Well, um, kind of like walking into Johnny Rockets. Spoiler. That's not anything <laughs> to do with the uh, the intro. Yeah, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. but I wanted to 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 take it away from the stereotype to say, hey, this can be. You can have almost any kind of person doing this, and almost any kind of look. Yeah. Oh a, yeah. yeah. From she anywhere. could have been a hard rocker. She could have been a, a country singer. She could have, you know, a, there could have been yeah. all sorts of looks for her. Lick my boots. She was sort of domesticated. Right. <laughs> I mean, she's in a domestic environment, you know. Right. Right. Well, and it because, was being done. It. It. Well, it's. It's not. Yeah. I'm not going to say anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because of the situation, mm-hmm. um, it is. Uh, it is in her home. So we kind of see a domestic environment. Yeah. Um, we don't see a dungeon or or a playroom uh, environment. We see something else. So that, again, it it's, takes it out of the stereotype of what we're used to seeing right. and puts it into a, 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 a very different environment so that we can... My goal was focus on the characters. Who are these two people? How are they engaging with each other? What's happening and why is it happening? And trying to tell that story, like like the other short, in a short amount of time, trying to get a, a lot of information in. Yeah, it's tight. I mean, it's you know, yeah. And, well, we, you got and you got all you the information for, in that seven minutes or whatever. I think right. we probably wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I did want to say thank you for uh, complimenting the lighting. I really uh, appreciate that because yeah, I'll pass that along to it. my. I'll pass that along to the DP because uh, it was a small crew. Mm-hmm. It was our DP and uh, our director of photography, our assist, a camera assistant, and um, they were pretty much handling all of the duties because we in our in the in the location we were at, we had to we had a limited crew capability. Yeah, uh, we only we could only have so many people, and and we had to limit it. So Six we really didn't from. have. We could not have a, a a whole lighting crew. Now I can take this out if I'm revealing too much, but I think I read that the two dialogues were filmed separately because the actress could not be on scene. Um, so we we didn't same. have to um, do. We shot out most of our client. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shot most of his stuff in in the morning. And then our mistress couldn't be on set until the afternoon. And so then we shot most of her stuff or all of her stuff in the afternoon and had them interact uh, when we needed them to. Yeah. Um, 
uh, while uh, in that period of time as well. We shot yeah. the whole it thing in well. one day. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ch- overcoming a challenge and the product is really good. I mean, there's like a real mm-hmm. market for shorts out there. Lisa and I have found not the shorts you wear, but shorts that you watch. <laughs> Cargoes. <laughs> Because Lisa and I find ourselves going through these shorts, you know, on uh, our services um, um, and whatever. We'll and it's like, just it's like, well, we have time for one more, you know, you know, yeah. and it's, well, we can do one more because they're so competitive. three hours later. Yeah. It's like, but I, but I know that even though they, they're very good in that format, you have possible, you have ambitions of possibly making, you know, converting them into larger projects down the road too. Obviously. Right? Yeah. And that yeah. brings us to our third. Oh, uh, I still, I, I've got something to tie it there. I think because uh, mm-hmm. it's the guy that played the client. See the guy with the pacifier in the uh, trailer. Yeah, I noticed that too. So, um, I actually, uh, so we're, we're switching <laughs> gears here to unvarnished, and and the promo for unvarnished does include a a um, a, a an adult with a, an adult sized pacifier. And yes, we used the same actor. Um, uh, he read for both for, he read for that, uh, adult with the pacifier part and we really loved him for that. And <laughs> actually the woman who played his, uh, the dominatrix in Mistress Candy also had a part in the, uh, in the promo for Unvarnished. Cool. And just to let everybody who's listening know what Unvarnished is, Unvarnished is a, uh, episodic tv show and my writing partner john and i are working on that uh we've been working on it since uh early 2020 and we shot a promo for that in november of last year unvarnished takes place in the early 1990s uh, art world and we follow a young man as uh as he is trying to figure out what his purpose in life is and he wants to he wants to be a gallery owner he loves art he was an art student he did his mfa in fine art and he wants to own a gallery at some point and we put him into a world of insanity of crazy art world dealers art dealers crazy collectors and uh crazy people and we have the sanity coming from one of our established artists so we're flipping we're kind of flipping the script there where artists are always the flighty ones and here it is we have an established artist who is kind of in a way our moral center right so eventually i think you'll you'll try to you'll be wanting to sell this to uh correct to some to someone i uh I, I will say this, upon watching the three uh, samples that you sent us, um, yeah. uh, promo, which was what it was called in our sample, was not my favorite, but I didn't realize what it was because I didn't read any of the notes. Philip doesn't always... Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just launched it and we right, brought it. <laughs> right. So I had no idea it was actually a promo. Yeah. What the hell is this crap? We're just going from here to there and what's going on? No, it was ridiculous. It was like, what? Now, the woman in the promo with the red hair reminded me of Tilda Swinton straight off. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think Eli thought the same thing, right? Yeah, right at the the first frame. 
And yeah. he just saw the wrists. And he says, oh, yeah, I see it. Because I said, does this lady remind you of Tilda Swinton? <laughs> Tilda Swinton. I, I know the name. I can't place. It's okay. Um, she's, uh, we, what did we just see her in the, the Wes Anderson movie, The French, French Dispatch? Dispatch. Yeah. French Dispatch? He hasn't she's, seen that. Okay. She's the witch in Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, she's the witch yeah, in Narnia. In, she's oh, the witch course. in Narnia. The Ice Queen. <laughs> what else would she one What would Dr. Phil know Strange. her from? Yeah, um, Doctor Strange, the the woman with the bald cap, or she might have shaved her head. I think she shaved. He wasn't her head. in Doctor. He did. He won't see Doctor Strange. Well, fortunately, uh, I have uh-huh. the yeah. He has entire a, a history of mankind at my disposal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, well, almost. Yeah, but anyway, um. um she she gave off a very, you know, quirky vibe like her. Yeah. We were going yes. for quirky with the character and oh, and yeah. very Bullseye. happy that she gave it to us. <laughs> Bullseye, exactly. Face, yeah. yeah. I believe. Very, very happy with the work that um, Mona Mona Lee Wilde did on that. She's I like uh, that chrome phone or whatever color that was. <laughs> that silver phone. Silver phone. That's a, that's a that's a real antique. Did um, that. Oh, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, did Tilda Swinton play one of the Dillons? Or am I mixing her up with someone else? The Dillons? I know at least two women played a Dillon. Like Marshall In the Dillon, Dillon movie where different people played Dillon. Bob Dillon? Yes, Bob Dillon. There's a movie where like seven or eight different people played Bob Dillon at different points in his life. And I, I don't thought, think right, right, it. right. Right. And I know Philip is like, no, they didn't. And I'm like, yes, they did. It exists. Hmm. He just hasn't. And usually he sees every music based movie for anyone that he admires. And for some reason, he missed this one. So I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, now I'm probably going to have to watch it with him because I've referred to it twice. Is she one of the Dillons? Well, I don't see the IMDb. She looks a little bit like Mm -hmm. Bowie there. Yeah, she could play Bowie. She'd be a good Bowie. Yeah, mm-hmm. she would be a great Bowie. Yeah, yeah that I would agree. be cool to see. Especially uh, maybe if they redid Labyrinth. Oh. I want her in that role. Oh, that would be cool. Absolutely, That would be so cool. You know, I like that. Yeah. Just a quick jaunt mm-hmm. down the. In my IMDb aisle, I do not He's see it. She's got like six things up. in post-production. <laughs> okay. Well, she may not have been in it. I may have her mixed up. Yeah. Well, Eli's been sitting patiently, yeah. and, um, but I know he's been working with Matthew recently. I don't know what the project is. so Or, um, or uh, what you do. I can so. only speculate, but I was just wondering, uh, what have you been doing with Matthew on the set, um, Eli? Uh, I was a production assistant, mostly carrying the equipment from mm-hmm. from set room to set room, and yeah. whacking out the windows with trash bags for night scenes. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty so, awesome. And duct tape and heavy today. lifting. <laughs> What's that, Matthew? Uh, tell them what we did today. Oh, today we went on location scout for another project and. We will be shooting on in July on the 9th, I believe. Okay. Cool. So, Eli, do you have aspirations to be a filmmaker, director, showrunner? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is perfect for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So Matthew, what kind of advice, since he's, Eli's getting into this a lot earlier than you did even, what kind of advice would you give him, you know, as a mentor? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we've been talking a lot over this weekend and, um, one of the things I, I think I suggested for Eli is to uh, figure out if he does want to go to film school, you know, to take a look and figure out which program is going to be the right fit for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you think it's going to be the right fit, you're, you, you might just, you know, I chose my program based on the fact that it was a weekend program. And then I figured out it was really a great fit for me. Right. And he may end up finding a program that he thinks is the right fit and it might not be. But to, to, to take a look at, at, at the programs and see what might be the right fit. And, you know, we're in the lay. We've got a lot of different programs here, both public and private. So there's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, maybe a program isn't the right thing for him. And it's just a, a matter of doing. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, just do. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, getting onset experience like he's been doing has been great. Mm-hmm. And today we were, as he mentioned, we were doing the location scouting and um, uh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, assistant camera on that project. So mm-hmm. today I was taking a lot of photos and videos with my camera, trying to figure out uh, where we're going to be and yeah, where, where, what angles we want to shoot from and where the actors. Model. <laughs> and he was he was standing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was standing in for our actors in terms of movement in the camera, in, into frame and out of frame, uh, and all sorts of other things. So, you know, getting that kind of experience is really helpful for anyone, uh, especially all someone. The experience is good. Yeah, it's it's great experience um, to just sort of be on set. And as I was turning to him and others this weekend. You know, to me, being on set is so much better than a desk job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's where I'd rather be. But Eli, have you, like when you look around and see what everybody's doing, are there things that are already emerging or maybe things you already brought into this that you've thought about that you want to, you know, producing, well, probably not producing, I guess, but directing or writing or anything you want to focus on? That you're the he wants most to do it all, man. Do it all. Yeah. I would imagine he wants, he wants to run the show I'm not according to his vision. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Sort of in the traditions of you Godzilla. Be you. And... you do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What kind of stuff have you been working on? I have been trying to do a graphic novel since all the earliest prototypes date back to 2013. Mm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. From there. From there. From there. there, Sorry, go ahead, Eli. Yes. From there, I will either transform it or a similar story, if I can't get rights, into a feature film, into a screenplay. Right. Get rights. So is it some, it's, is it like Godzilla or something that's already a property? Right. Godzilla, an existing property. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Mm So you'll have a Godzilla script in your pocket for when you're famous. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I guess while you're famous, you're saying, you know, I wish they just let me do Godzilla right. 
got it right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the other? I, I, I hate to ask this because I should know. What is the franchise, the Matrix type franchise <laughs> that you're that you're so fond of, Eli? Oh, the oh. movie Returner. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew and I just saw that during the weekend. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed a, that. Yeah, it's not a franchise though; it's a single film. Right, right. Well, I think he was thinking of the Matrix franchise versus oh. Turner. Oh, I see. Film. Okay. Yeah. Well, as we wind down here, I wonder mm-hmm. if there is there anything that we've not covered with Matthew here. Hey, that's my question. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, is there anything we didn't discuss that you thought we would or that you um, just wanted us to? Um, can't think of anything else. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, we didn't talk about some of the other projects, but they're they're all, I'd say they're all back burner projects. I think um, one thing that... Um, my teachers at, uh, at school encouraged us to have your your front burner projects, but always have some projects on the back burner that you are working on, or at least uh, have thoughts about that you can then bring to the front burner. Because if somebody says, hey, I need something like this, you can bring it to the front burner, work on it a little bit to present to somebody. Did you have any last questions for me? It was cool just to um, see a thesis. Yeah. I've never seen a thesis yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank I mean, you. a thesis for arts arts versus movies versus Well, a thesis uh, had only been a theory for me. <laughs> might be completely different. Yeah. Like a history thesis yeah. might be, you know, a lot of the times hit people writing a history thesis are actually writing a book. Right. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. it could be a number of things, I guess, right? Yeah. That's the point. Absolutely. And in yeah. our department... You know, for, for the film TV program, the thesis, uh, you know, there are two documents I was asked to create, the culminating document, which is basically a description of the thesis, what was in the inspiration, and some other information is put in there and, and what you're trying to accomplish. And that definitely is going to be different from, say, a history thesis, which is going to be usually something that's going to be published. Right. And... Um, and uh, so for us, you know, I'm imagining what I put together is going to probably be different from something that Eli might put together if he were to do a master's. Mm-hmm. Um, so because uh, everybody's projects are a little bit different, um, you know, they do want to have some of the same sections. But I think people are the nice thing about doing a MFA and a thesis document like this is. You're asked to be creative, so go ahead and be as creative as you want to be and make it yours. Yeah. Kind of like your own project, so it doesn't have to be regimented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who are, so this could really, this could really go off, but mm-hmm. I know you like Vince Gilligan. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my favorite filmmakers is, uh, you know, like, I, like, uh, Quentin Tarantino, of course, mm-hmm. um, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Yeah. Um, who are who are some of your favorite? Your biggest influences. Well, let's see. Um, I would definitely say we've got Vince. 
Um, we've got um, definitely, you know, Brian Fuller. You know, most of my stuff is TV influences. Pushing Daisies guy. That's where I'm. Yeah, Pushing Daisies. Brian Fuller, Pushing Daisies. Uh, also, Star great. Trek Discovery. He did some did work there. Um, I really like Damon Lindelof. Mm-hmm. He did um, he did Lost, and he also did Watchmen 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, the storytelling in Watchmen 2019 is just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. that was great. How he took um, uh, you know, uh, how he took history and brought it forward, and just brought it all together. Honestly, just. Mm-hmm. freaking brilliant and yeah. i grew up on tv so for me that long form storytelling that long arc storytelling is where i i feel is my sweet spot he's my and television contrast and um mm-hmm. so where i'm where i am focusing my efforts right now is i'm working on two pilots mm-hmm. unvarnished and i have another pilot that i'm working on but a week ago, a friend, two weeks ago, a friend of mine asked me to help start write, uh, to help him write uh, a feature. So I'm actually working with two other people to work on my first feature. Oh, okay. that's awesome. Um, so you got, your, got your burners. So I'm, I'm got really your back burners filling exactly. up. Exactly. So that's a back burner kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually being kind of brought to the front burner because we're actively working yeah. on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Rep- rotate those pans. Exactly. So, heavily working on one of my feet, one of my pilots. The feature is kind of coming to the front burner, and the second pilot is kind of in a middle burner. It's on my mind. Um, it'll get some TLC soon. Yeah. Um, but those are some real, you know, current uh, uh, inspirations. And then, of course, from back in the day, um, Norman Lear, big inspiration yeah. um, in terms of, you know, his body of work. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I do have one last question for you, Matthew. Sure. Um, you are uh, directing your first major biopic. Who is the subject? Oh, that's a great question. Thank my you. first major biopic. <laughs> and who is my first, it. who yes. is my subject? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Mm. No, 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 no. Um, God. Who I was I actually wanted? thinking musical, but it can be anything. Yeah, it could be anything. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow, there's so many people that come to mind. Yeah, and, and um, I feel what brought it to my attention, especially, is that it seems like in the theaters it's either superheroes or biopics right now. Um, you know, yeah. in terms of, yeah. you know, honestly, you know, I, I, I have to. Being a gay man, I'm thinking LGBT heroes. And mm-hmm. so I'm thinking um, Harvey Firestein because of his wide body of work. Um, and, you know, I saw a Torch Song trilogy with him in it back in the mm-hmm. day on Broadway. Yeah. And then oh. he's done so much oh. other work and he's been such a fantastic activist. 
And mm-hmm. I think his biopic bio uh, bio of him would be just fascinating. Yeah. And, and just endlessly mm-hmm. fascinating. And, and um, I think more people would watch, once they remember who he is, him being something yeah. actor, um, I but think, so recognizable. Oh, I think, I think people would want to know, yeah, I want to know more about this guy. I mean, I, and I think a lot of people, his big come to attention was Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. yeah. He played, uh, he played Harvey, he played Robin Williams's brother. Okay. He's the one who did his makeup. I didn't know And that. created Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. I remember yeah. him being, uh, didn't he have mm-hmm. a talk, he had a talk show on basic cable, I think. Okay. I, I don't remember, remember that, yeah. but you know, I don't remember that. Cable either. Or not a t- not a talk show, but like a mm. uh, like a news magazine type presentation or something. Okay. I don't know. I don't. I, I never really watched. We didn't have cable until after MTV, so yeah. I didn't. Maybe mixing him up with cable. Roy Firestone. Hmm? Nah. Maybe you're mixing him up with Roy not, Firestone. No, no, it was Harvey Firestein. Okay. Yeah, there was some kind of show. It was on some cable network, but it. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, weren't those like? Um, weren't those uh, basic cable shows? Kind of like podcasts are now. There's a dime a minute. <laughs> and I think that John Levitz, John Lovitz did an impersonation uh-huh. of him on SNL. Yeah. 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 I think so. Possible. So yeah. That would have been passable. Yeah. Yeah. Passable. But he would be. I think he'd be really awesome. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty awesome. And then casting yeah. that to get somebody to right. get, you know, somebody who could play him. Uh, I don't know. And then, you know, yeah. what part of his life mm-hmm. do you want to, you know, you Speech. know, an early part would be kind of cool. You know, the struggle, what struggles or what, what, what it took to get Torch Song Trilogy to Broadway, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and then, well, and- you know, and and maybe what you could do is um, it, try to, uh, you know, run it as a series. And even if you have to do like a limited series. Yeah. You know, limited series. I was just talking more with of those. I was talking with somebody about that uh, with uh, somebody with a little bit more experience last week about that. Mm-hmm. And he said, limited series, wait, wait to work on a limited series idea because mm-hmm. You need to have some juice. Mm. You, usually you need to have some juice and some influence before you can yeah. do a limited run. You might be able to get it done, but more likely or not, well, you're going yeah. you're gonna to need it's some juice. Dream project. Is it like a business hey. thing or it's like they don't, they don't feel like it's profitable enough or it's not uh, yeah. marketable enough? It's usually like a, it's, a high because profile. It's short run. Because it's short run, it, it's a marketing thing, you know. Okay. Unless you've got a name in it or you you can really trust that this person who, you know, maybe you don't know what the quality of their work is, mm-hmm. unless unless you really can guarantee you're going to get some eyeballs on it, mm-hmm. you don't know if you're going to make your money back. Right. But if, you know, Shonda Rhimes or Brian Fuller comes to you and says, hey, I've got this short, this limited run, they've got a history, you know it's going to probably be of a, a certain quality. And you can go ahead and do it. Right. Well, you can see who uh, we're a fan of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ozark. And, it, and it's not just Ozark. We really enjoy this actress. We've seen it's, quite a bit of her stuff. 
and she's consistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah brilliant. She's show. playing Madonna. Is that right? No, I that's so. Yeah. Really? Oh no. Oh yeah. No, who's she playing? She's playing Mary. Yeah. Huh? No, I think you're right. I think Marilyn. I heard that. She could do Marilyn and Madonna. I no, mean, she could do it's anything. Marilyn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. She's good. Well, cool. Yeah. Okay. All uh, right. One last bit of business. Um, Eli, meet our newest family member. This is Nettle. Mm. <laughs> what kind is he? Uh, she's um, she's three-fourths Siamese and one-fourth Lynx. Mm. Mm-hmm. Another thing, yeah. I kept a prop from the I kept a prop from the film shoot. I don't know if I'm allowed to show it. It might be a little plot significant, or maybe I maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, Matthew, you have the painting from your latest promo in, in your house. Oh, I do. I do have the painting from the promo in my house. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, man, this has been fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like very there's a lot left to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, thank um, you very much for another Phil time. You'll have a, you'll have more projects to promote someday. We have social Twitter. Yeah. Uh huh. Pod. Instagram. Yeah. Uh huh. Pod. Facebook. Yeah. Uh huh. Pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Bye.